Hello, I'm Helen Daly. Welcome to Build It, Thou Come. Candid interviews with amazing Australian entrepreneurs who started with a humble idea and built it into something substantial and sustainable. It's the human face behind how they built it. On today's episode... Leadership, you know, in my industry, there's no dictatorship. The chef has some sort of ownership. They've got to be accountable for running the business. It's about inviting them in and making them feel as though that they are part of it. For so many in the food and hospitality game, the onslaught of the COVID-19 pandemic completely whacked them for six. Matt Moran's successful empire was no exception. In part two of our chat, Matt talks about the terrifying first few days and weeks when COVID hit in March 2020, how he and his teams got through it, including several rolling lockdowns, reveals a lot about this particular entrepreneur. But Matt's story is no doubt replicated in thousands of restaurants, cafes and bars right across this country. Then his empire was dealt another crushing blow by the floods earlier this year that hit southeast Queensland. But aside from those challenges and how he dealt with them, Matt Moran also reveals his views on the no-meat meat movement, what's next in post-COVID dining, and he reveals a secret recipe for the humble roast chook. Hope you enjoy Matt Moran. Matt Moran, welcome back to part two of our chat. Now, out of nowhere, the COVID pandemic hit in early 2020. The hospitality industry, as we know, was just extremely hard hit, closed for periods, under restrictions. How did you even prioritise your thinking, your critical decision making in those, take me back to those early months, March, April, May of 2020? Oh, it was it was the most scariest time I've ever ever come across. Um, you know, I remember when it first started, and at this point in time, you know, my business is the structure of it. You know, we had a, a chairman, we had a board, and um, I remember in March we were sitting there talking about COVID, um, mm. and I remember we did some figures looking at you know what would happen if this affected you know, 10% of our revenue and then 20% of our revenue. And I was like thinking this this can never happen. And someone just said, look, you know, for the hell of it, let's just look at what happens if we lose 50% of our revenue. And it was just devastating. And I think three weeks after that, um, we had no revenue. We were completely closed mm-hmm. down. And, uh, and you know, it, it was a scary time because I, I just, I didn't know what was going to happen. And I think for some people in the industry, it probably kind of thought that it was the end of the world, I suppose. Um, and, you know, I, I think our main priority was to look after our people. And that was, that was, and that's, that's me, but that's also Bruce too. You know, he's that sort of person. Um, so it was to try and look after as, as many people as we possibly could very, very quickly um, because, you know, everyone, there was no job keeper right at the beginning. So, which we did, and um, so did you have to, uh, you know, cut costs? Were you in well, debt we, we at that had, time, or did no, you have to get rid of people? We had no no revenue coming in. Um, we uh, we paid out entitlements um, straight away, which we thought was the right thing to do, and um, and then obviously JobKeeper came in and mm. and saved us on that that thing. We were probably in a good position where we didn't have a lot of a lot of business debt, so we sort of went into COVID pretty pretty good. Um, yeah, probably better than some so, other people. 
Yeah. So all or some of your restaurants had to close for months in 2020 and then much of 2021 as well. Mm. Plus, you know, you've had no international tourists. And Mm. for those in the iconic positions around the Opera House and East Circular Quay, but also Barangaroo, maybe no workers coming in from overseas as well. How did you manage through the last two years? And I guess what have you learned about your own leadership style? Mm, mm. Look, we um, the, the first lockdown uh, when JobKeeper came in saved us, there's no question. Um, we, uh, we were very lucky and, you know, the government supported us. What they didn't do is they didn't support our visa holders. So we lost a lot of staff. We lost hundreds of staff, members that had to go back overseas because mm. we couldn't support them. It's like, do we support them um, and then, you know, risk the business going under? And we just couldn't. We, we tried as much as we could, but everyone was in the same boat. You know, I know Neil Perry and mm. the Fink Group and all those guys lost all these international guys. And they were the bread. They were the, the nuts and bolts, I call them, in our business. They're the real workers. They're the chefs and, you know, the, the sponsor mm. guys that really get stuck into it. Um, so when we started doing a little bit of takeaway, we only did that really for some staff members that we knew that needed the money. Uh, it wasn't a financial gain from us. So we just sat idle pretty much. We were losing money, but not, not to the extent, um, prior to, 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 you know, having no job keeper. Um, and then we reopened and when we did reopen, we sort of scaled it back and, and, you know, we didn't have the staff that we, we mm. used to have. Um, and we didn't open the hours that we used to have and we, we just tightened it all up. And I, yeah. I think that taught us, you know, um, a, a good reset button on how to do things. You know, even some of my businesses aren't open the, the shifts that they used to be in, but they're, they're still financially viable. Um, so, you know, it was the second lockdown that hurt the most because, you know, JobKeeper wasn't there. It was JobSaver um, and the staff were getting the money and that changed yeah. the dynamic a lot. Um and uh, it was it was a lot harder to get out, you know, and, and try and make some money. But we were incredibly busy. But then, you know, just before Christmas again in 21, you know, the Omi came and that sort of, you know, flattened us again for a, for a couple of months. Mm. Um, now we're still at that rebuilding stage. So we're still opening up a little bit more here and there in, in some venues. Uh, but when we are open, we, we are fairly busy. We, we have been very busy. Um, and, uh, you know, we're... we're um, you know, we're turning it around, but we we still have that underlying issue of not having enough staff in, mm. in venues. Um, so, and, and are you finding ISO and COVID is hurting your staff in that yeah, they have to, I Look, can't come into work? To be, to be honest, Alan, when the Omi hit, um, you know, people stopped going out a little bit, but yeah. the, the hospitality staff were at the forefront of it. So within the first few weeks of January, my staff were just riddled with it. You know, we, we yeah. had we had 30-something people off in one venue, which was Opera Bar. Um, we were moving wow. people from one venue to another venue and shutting that venue on that night and, and putting staff in that other venue just so we could stay open. Um, but then after a month of that, um, it was the – the staff were all back at work, you know, not all mm. of them, but a majority mm. of them. Um, and, uh, you know, the people in the general public were getting it a lot more and that's yeah. when it, it really spiked. So we stopped seeing customers. So it, it was it was, it was was hard because we didn't have the staff and then we had the staff and we didn't have the customers. So now we just find little, little uh, it just pops up every now and then and we might lose three or four people in a venue. Um, and then we, we just try and cover for them. Yeah. And, then, and are and, people coming back out to eat? Customers? Yeah, they are. They are, you know, and yeah. I think, you know, I, I don't really, 
you know, I know some people are still very cautious. Um, my father, who was high risk, you know, he's very cautious. You know, he wouldn't come to the pub or, you know, he's wow. only been going. And he mm. got it last week. Um, oh, really? I've never, I've never had it. <laughs> Isn't that interesting? And, and yet your customer, yeah, your customer facing every single day. I, I don't understand why. Um, I, maybe I have had it mm. and I didn't know. <clears throat> um, but yeah, I, I, I've, I've escaped it somehow. You know, yeah. My daughter had it on Christmas Day. Yeah. And, and I'd never got it. So. Yeah. Matt, what did you learn about yourself and your style of managing and coping? Um, I, I, I think it, it changed my thought process um, on about what's more important, you know, how many businesses do you really want? Um, you know, it, it made me realise, you know, that I'm a little bit older too and, and maybe, you know, I should... I'd say slow down, but then what have I done? You know, <laughs> I've kind of done other You're stuff. You're building a whole new town, basically. <laughs> but, you know, I, I think, you know, it's made me prioritise a little bit and, you know, it, it makes you think about your staff and how well you've got to look after them too in, in that yeah. uh, in those positions because, you know, they are they are the backbone of your business and, and you know, that's something that Bruce and I have always been very, and Pete for that matter too, have been very good at is keeping staff and looking after staff. Um, how do you feel? about leadership and, and what would you say about leadership? What did you tell those footballers that night at the dinner? <laughs> oh, look, you know, leadership, you know, in my industry, it's about, um, you know, it's, there's no dictatorship. You know, we, we are very set in our ways and how we change menus and, and how the chef has some sort of ownership um, or some general managers have some ownership and they've got to be accountable for, you know, running the business. And it's not just from, you know, up top yelling down. Um, it's about you know inviting them in and making them feel as though that they they are part of it and and they are um, because you know I can't be across you know 12 13 businesses um, and it's about you know having the the management and that's where Bruce is very good too Solitel is a, is a great management company and I've got a, my own little one which looks after the food and stuff um, but you know you've, you've got to give people the, the sense that they have ownership over it and, and their voice is really important and it, and it is. And, you know, that's that's how we all learn from it, I think, too. And, you know, we're, we've, we're lucky we've had a lot of people work for us for a long, long period of time. Bruce had people work for him over 20 years. I had Kirsten that worked at RA, she's worked for me for 22 years or something. She's now yeah. recently left, but, you know, that's that's what it is. And when they yeah. do leave, you, you wish them the best and and uh, and, you know, and you hope that they they become good restaurateurs too. And I've been very lucky. You know, I've got a lot of a lot of mates that have worked for me over the years that have gone on and, and built empires too, which is great. Yeah, Matt, um, you also were hit by floods in oh. that have really badly hit northern New South Wales and southeast Queensland, Brisbane, with your Brisbane River Restaurant. Can you just tell us? About that, how much damage and yeah. Look, where are you at with that? That is, that is something that I never thought was going to ever happen again, um, you know, but, you know, the Friday River Bar is right on the water there on the Brisbane River in front of the Riparian and uh, it did go under in 2011. That's how I ended up getting the, the site and we refitted it all and oh. we, nearly, we nearly lost it in 13. It sort of trickled into the, into the, the bar and the restaurant. Um, this time, you know, uh, Bruce's son Elliot, who's the CEO of Solitil now, he was up there having lunch on the Friday, and uh, we had to evacuate it on the Saturday oh. night. And there was no, not even a thought that this might be flooded, and uh, we went completely under. What you mean? You you had no 
inkling that from Friday to the Saturday night that you'd no. be underwater? No. We were watching it, but no, we, there was no... I didn't. I, when when I got the phone call on Saturday afternoon saying that there's a possibility that you know we could be we could be flooded, I'm like, oh. serious? Elliot was there yesterday. Like, yeah. there's no no talk of that. Wow. Um, and then Sunday we were underwater. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and then not just a foot of water. I'm talking up the wall. <laughs> so, so where are you at with that now? Are you going to uh, reopen? It's, it's closed. It's closed. Um, you know, we're we're um, in the process of working out. Um, you know, costs and, and insurance yeah. and, and landlord. So that that's an ongoing ongoing conversation. I would I would hope that we, yes, we will reopen. It's it's been a great business to me. Um, yeah. But, yeah, it's 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 always a worry, Helen. You know, when you know you, you have one in five hundred year floods, and you've you've <laughs> it just it happens again. And and what do you risk again? You know, do you risk um, rebuilding and, and going under again in twelve months? Yeah. You, know, you you look at the poor people. Um, you know, on the the Hawkesbury and the Nepean oh. the farmers that have lost it three times in in a month, like it's, it's just, just heartbreaking. Yeah, look, and you know, we know that it'll probably, you know, it'll turn the other way, and we will have dry spells as we always do. Um, but you just got to risk how often that will happen. And yeah, it's so happened, it's happened too many times of late. To so, have you come to that decision that you're not going to reopen? No, 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 no. We um, at this point in time, yeah, we have every every. Um, aspiration to reopen. Mm. It's an ongoing conversation. Matt, look, it's, I mean, there are a million fabulous restaurant offerings in the world and in Sydney and Brisbane. What makes yours different? Because the, you know, the American um, entrepreneur Mark Cuban says that startup founders really have to have an edge to outmaneuver your competition before they outmaneuver you. Mm. Do you think that applies in your industry? And do you have an edge? Uh, look, we've got very good sites, um, you know, iconic sites, you know, uh, Chiswick, uh, Opera House, Aria, um, Barangaroo, yeah. North Bondi Fish, River Bar, you know, they're all in great locations. I think you go back to the days of Manfredi, you know, back in the late 80s. It was in a little side street in Ultimo. Yeah, um, I remember it well. It had no, it had no, no beautiful outlook. Um, people went there for the food. And uh, and it was hor- horribly acoustic. So there was no, you know, it was just like a shell, and it was noisy and loud, and you know, it was you know, parking and there was nothing. Um, I think that gets harder and harder to open a restaurant mm. like that because people right. people's knowledge is is far greater now. It's not just people don't want just great food, and you know, they want great ambience. They want a you know, great acoustics. So they want a great location. They want a great wireless. They want great service. They want they want everything and. Um, if you can offer, I've never said that Ari is the best food in the world, um, but when it comes to um, a collection of those things, you know, it probably is one of the best in the world. You know, it's got a lot of things going for it. Um, and same with Chiswick and same with North Bondo. Yeah. Matt, how did you scale up, build all these great restaurants, uh, spread yourself without diminishing quality? Because mm. you can't be at every venue. You don't cook at any venue, as I understand it. Um, but if one I made, bad- I made a burger yesterday at the Broccoli Pub. Oh, good. So you're <laughs> cooking at the pub. Yeah, that's great. No, no, look. But- 
Uh, but no, if one bad dish comes out, yep. that's it. The customer might walk forever. Yep, yep. And that's um, that's by having, you know, good key staff and, and managing it and, and that's something I think that, you know, we've been successful at doing. And I remember, you know, at ARIA when I was there full-time, 100 hours a week in the kitchen for years and years and years, um, and I started doing a little bit of TV work and, and you know, and the the – shifted with the people coming in to see me and and I'd have to go out to the tables and and it probably really wasn't fair on the kitchen because you know I'd just up and leave the fish section and and go and say hello to someone um and you know I, I think when we started opening other places it was a conscious decision that you know do I want to have one restaurant in my life and make it the best um or do I want to take this incredible talent that we have and 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 you know start making a, a an empire, if you want to call it, mm. um, you know, and and taking these these people that have worked for me that are fantastic, do they just go and leave and work for someone else, or do we actually, you know, open up another venue and put them in it? And that I remember that that decision too, you know, of I was still working at Aria when we opened a few places, um, and then making that conscious decision to actually step out of the kitchen a little bit more. Don't get me wrong, I still love going into the kitchens and you know sticking my fingers in things, and, and uh, which I'll always do. Um, but you know, it, it turned more into the the management side of things and and building. Um, you know, I, and I, I remember when that happened. But you know, it was you always miss cooking, but you never forget how to do it. Yeah. <laughs> so, you know I mean? would you? I mean, do you see yourself cooking if you sort of um, perhaps having a rethink because of COVID about what's important? Would you think, okay, I'm still going to have all those great people running all those great restaurants, but mm. maybe I'm just going to cook in one restaurant and I don't know, can you do both? Can you manage and cook? No, look, no, no, no. I can't. Um, do I still cook? Of course I do. I, I love cooking, you know, I'm, I'm cooking at home all the time or, you know, I've, right. I've um, you know, and that's the, the strange thing. People think that when I'm home that why would I want to cook and people don't get it. It's what I do, you know. I, yeah. I can sit at home on a Saturday or a Sunday and cook for 20 people at home and, and spend four hours in the kitchen and and, I, and that's to me is is that's my downtime. Yeah. And, you know, people that's come That's another for, happy place. Oh, God, yeah, it is. And if, the funny thing is at home I can't have people with me in the kitchen. <laughs> Everyone's got to keep out. Oh, um, right. And my daughter doesn't mind baking, so she I might be cooking in the kitchen on Sunday. She goes, I'm going to come and bake some cookies. And it's just like to the grit of the teeth and she's a bit like me, so she's – She's quite fiery and we sort of, you know, we blow up in the kitchen sometimes. Quite fun, actually. <laughs> um, but when people do come over for, for dinner and lunch and they get, at the end of it, they go, oh, thanks, Matt, thanks for doing that for us. We're so grateful. And I, I often think to myself, I didn't do it for you. I just wanted to cook. <laughs> <laughs> so what do you, as someone who, um, well, certainly in your cookbooks, you mm. know, you make a lot of beautiful Australian produce, including meat. Mm. What do you think of the no-meat Meat in inverted commas, the oh, fake look, meat, the new meat. You know, it, it's it's one of those things. Look, you know, restaurants have changed. You know, twenty five years ago, you were a vegetarian, you got a plate of broccoli. You know, and mm. possibly the best thing for the industry was, you know, um, you know, chefs woke up to themselves and and you know started getting more creative on that side. You only have to look at now. Some of the most successful restaurants are, you know. Um, Know, plant-based, you know, yellow, mm. uh, bread mm. savage and, and so on. You know, we made a conscious decision to always have, you know, vegan food and, and you know, 
um, vegetarian food on, on every menu. Um, and it made, made the chefs a lot more creative. Um, you know, as for the, the fake meat, look, it's, it's really hard for me to comment on that, particularly because, you know, I am a producer and, and uh, of meat. <laughs> um, you know, I think people just got to be a little bit wise about looking what's in those things. Um, mm. And, you know, uh, some of them, you know, might have 20, 30 ingredients and how much of it's processed. Um, uh, but I'm a big believer in, in plant-based menus and food. Um, there's no question I, I will often have a vegetarian night even at home. Um, people would never expect that from me, you know, being who I am. Um, but, you know, I, I, I love veggies. I love, you know, eating yeah. vegan food. Um, and, uh, you know, I, I make sure there's always a bit of a balance, you know, in the menus but also in my diet too. So what's your last meal ever? Oh, uh, look, <sighs> you know, I would, it's pretty hard to beat a roast chook, you know. Wow. Okay. And, uh, so not a beautiful steak. No, I love, I love a good roast chook. Um, and, you know, and I, I remember going to the Barossa Valley and, and, and staying at Maggie's and Maggie cooked me a roast chook and, uh, and she cooked it different to me. She cooks it upside down and, and all the moisture oh. was in it. And, and uh, I think you're pretty lucky if you have a roast chook cooked by Maggie Beer. But, wow. You know, Can we I'll, ask for your secret? My secret? I, what I do, I do the Colin Fastnitch is where I get a bit of stale bread and, and put it under the chook and put lavishings of butter and garlic in it and cook the roast chook on top in of it. the no, on top of the bread. So I slice the a loaf. Um, yep. so if it's a, say it's a big loaf like that. Yep. I'll yep. slice it, you know, down all the way and right. turn it up. So you've got these big pieces. Yep. And I'll put two of them down there. I'll put lavishings of butter on it, oh. oil underneath it, and I grate garlic over it. And then I'll sit the chook on, on the top bread. of it. Right. On the bread. And what happens is the bread starts to fry on the bottom and get crispy. All the juices from the chook go into the bread and the garlic starts to cook and the butter underneath it. So you end up with this crunchy garlic bread. Um, Yum. And uh, I, I have to come clean. I've seen Fastnitch do it, Colin Fastnitch do it, so I stole that idea. <laughs> oh, no, that's great. Thank you for sharing that with us. That's fabulous. Um, just briefly, where do you think dining out in Sydney is headed still with COVID? Um, I think it's always going to pop its head up, no question. Um, I think people, the virus or the, the dining, the virus. The, I think dining is strong. You know, people, mm. people always, you know, will want to go out, and and you know, we we know that from when you know everyone was sitting at home and and cooking, and and when we were open, had the opportunity, the the amount of people that were trying to come get into the we couldn't fit people. Um, we're turning people away and, and people were spending more money too because they were finally out. Yeah. Um, you know, dining will always be there. Some someone will it'll always be there. You know, people just are social people. They want to be out and they want Will to- it be less fine dining, more just let's get together and go and have a meal, or will it be all, you know, have to book five weeks in advance? Um, I think there's always a place for fine dining. Um, people always want to, you know, lavish themselves and spoil themselves. And um, there's always a place for, you know, casual dining. Um, I think it will come back to, to what it was. Yeah. Um, you know, it's, it's, it's definitely going to get more expensive. There's no question, just with mm. cost, um, you know, because, you know, wow. you, you, look, you look at Europe 
you look at you know uh, who was it? Someone just was just in in America in New York, and and they basically came back and said it's three times the price to eat in New York than what it is in Australia. Um, and you know it, it's it's produce is doubled. You know land prices are, are you know unbelievable. You know yeah. the, the money I'm getting for my meat at the moment is unbelievable, and even seafood in the last couple of weeks has just taken a, a massive um, rise. So, you know, our margins are getting harder and harder and we've got to be smarter and, and you know, we, we can try to manipulate by using, you know, cheaper cuts and whatever else, but the customers, you know, will, will see that sometimes. Um, so, you know, the only other way that, that we have to combat it is is to put prices up, um, you know, cover our cost stuff, wages, you know. Um, you know, we've always looked after our staff when it comes to that and paying the right way and and, um, and I think that's, you know, that's uh, that. Puts pressure on on prices too. Yeah, um, but you know it's it's not it's not an easy easy industry to be in. But it's it's one of the most enjoyable industry. Sure, isn't you've certainly had your challenges as an industry. Yeah, Just a have. few quick questions that I'm asking yep. most of my guests. What are you obsessed about at the moment? Be it a, a book or a cause or an ingredient um, um, or a place. Uh, I, I've, I'm, I'm breeding pigs at the moment. I'm loving my pigs. <laughs> and what we're doing is we're taking all the scraps from the restaurant. And I, I, I gave them, this is on my Instagram the other day, actually, I gave them about 70 kilos of, of uh, you know, plant-based food that was left over from the restaurant. And, uh, and you know, there's a great picture of a pig eating an apple and he's just how we devoured it. Um, <laughs> so they're fat and happy. They're fat and, well, my manager rang me this morning and said, Matt, you know, should we, should we go this month? And I said, no, nah, let's just go another month and get them a little bit fat. Oh, right. <laughs> so yeah. they're, they're look, and they're so cute. They're, I love them. And I know it's a horrible thing to say, oh, but you know, know. what? they've lived their best life and, and they're, they're, you know, they're in the paddock and they, they come running up to you and they want to scratch and they, they try and eat the tow bar off my car and, and some of them try and bloody get in the car. Um, but they're, they're happy pigs and, and, uh, which means they're going to, they're going to taste really good too. <laughs> Sorry. I don't, don't like to think about that part of the equation. Um, what is the toughest thing you faced in your entrepreneurial journey? Um, you know, that first week of COVID was the hardest thing I've ever ever come through because um, I was I was in shock. I just I just didn't know what was happening, mm. and the thought of losing everything um, was was pretty horrible. You know, and uh, and the people around me, you know, the, the staff, you know, that they, they don't really understand what the government is doing, and they ask you for advice. So, you know, it was, it was pretty tough getting lots of phone calls and people, you know, very upset, breaking down and, and not knowing what was what was going to happen. And I didn't yeah. know, but you have to be strong for those guys, you know. Yeah, and what was coming down the track. Yeah. What's the biggest lesson you've learned along your journey as an entrepreneur? Um, you know, like I said before, you know, if you make a mistake, correct it. You know, it's it's more of a mistake just to let things, you know, go on as as is, you know, nip it in the butt and, and turn it around really quickly. And what would you say to someone who wants to pursue an idea or a dream uh, or start in, a business? In hospitality, uh, do it for the right reasons. Love it. Don't go in there and think that, you know, um, it's all, you know, rosy and easy. It, it isn't. And... You know, I've always said if you if you love something in life um, that you do, you never have to work another day. And I think that's uh, part of the reason why we've been successful is because we love it. We we actually love what we do, and otherwise it's too bloody hard. You know, working at the moment, you know, fourteen fifteen hours a day, 
And mm. in the pub at Rockley, you know, people go, oh, and I haven't had a Dale for a long time. Not that I'm, I'm complaining at all. I'm not. You know, Laura, who's my right hand, she's been with me 15 years. She hasn't had a day off either. Um, uh, you know, but we're, we're actually, at the end of the day, I'm actually really loving it. I'm just like, I'm, I'm really, got, I'm on a high because it's just fun, you know, and, and that's what it should be. It shouldn't be a chore. You know, do it because you love it, not because you think you're going to make a lot of money and you know, or whatever else, you know, be famous because it's too bloody hard. Matt Moran, it's been a great pleasure speaking to you. You've given Sydney and Brisbane diners great pleasure and joy over the years. So best of luck with, you know, whatever happens with COVID and floods. And thanks so much for joining us on Build It, They'll Come. Absolute pleasure, Helen. Great talking to you. I hope you enjoyed Build It, Thou Come. Let me know via Twitter and LinkedIn. Better still, let your family, friends and colleagues know by sharing it around your networks. And I'd love you to give it a star rating on Apple Podcasts to make it easier for others to find us. Be sure to subscribe as there are plenty of upcoming episodes you don't want to miss with more amazing innovators and entrepreneurs on how they turn their light bulb idea into an empire.